Friends in Christ, Purple Hymnals, number 224. And if you'd like to join our praise group this morning, this would be an opportune time to, to do an audition. I don't know, Dirk, do you, would you like to come add a St. Cloud tenor or baritone or bass? And if you're with us by way of television, some folks even sing along, sing along, and we appreciate the fact that you're singing along. So let, let us stand now, if you want to stand, or you maybe remain seated. Good Christian Friends Rejoice Purple, number 224, please, 224.
give the Lord our hearts. This time, the lighting of the Advent candle by Curtis Joe and Jeannie, if they would please come at this time. And as they prepare, uh, also we have a, a fine number that we're going to be praying and playing. Today, we celebrate the third Sunday of Advent. The candle lit today represents joy. We would like you to think about the joy of giving and sharing as God gave and shared his son. We're going to read from Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quinrunus was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Dejiah, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. I have a poem to read today. It's called The Christmas Gift, and it was actually written by Grandpa Jones who was, in the 1960s, a um, gospel and um, country western singer. And um, again, the, the poem is called Christmas Guest, and the main character is Conrad. It happened one day dear, near December's end, two neighbors called on an old friend, and they found his shop so meager and lame made gay with a thousand boughs of green. And Conrad was sitting with face ashined, and suddenly he stopped as he stitched a twine. And he said, oh friends, at dawn today, when the rooster was crowing the night away, the Lord appeared in a dream to me and said, I'm coming, I'm coming your guest to be. So I've been busy with feet astir and strewing my shop with branches of fir. The table is spread and the kettle is shined, and over the rafters the holly is twined. Now I'll wait for the Lord to appear and listen closely so I will hear his step as he nears my humble place. And I'll open the door and look on his face so his friends went home and left Conrad alone, for this was the happiest day he had known. For long since his family had passed away, and Conrad had spent many a sad Christmas day. But he knew with the Lord as his Christmas gift, this Christmas would be the dearest and the best. And with every sound, he would arise with a start and look for the Lord to be at his door, like a vision he had a few hours before. So he ran to the window after hearing a sound, but all he could see on the snow-covered ground was a shabby beggar 
whose uh, shoes were worn, and all of his clothes were ragged and torn. But Conrad was touched, and he went to the door and said, you know, your feet must be frozen and sore. I have some shoes in my shop for you and a coat that will keep you warmer too. So with grateful heart, the man went away, but Conrad noticed the time of the day and wondered what made the Lord so late and how much, and how much longer he'd have to wait. When he heard a knock, he ran to the door but it was only a stranger once more, a bent old lady with a shawl of black, with a bundle of kindling uh, piled on her back. She asked for a place to rest, and that was reserved for Conrad's great guest. But her voice seemed to plead, don't send me away. Let me rest for a while on Christmas Day. So Conrad brewed her a steaming cup and told her to sit at the table and suck. But after she left, he was filled with dismay, for he saw that the hours were slipping away. And Conrad felt sure he had misunderstood when out of the stillness he heard a cry, please help me, please help me, and tell me where I am. So again, he opened his friendly door and stood disappointed as twice before. It was only a child who had wandered away from her family on Christmas Day. Again, Conrad's heart was heavy and sad, but he, he knew he should make the little girl glad. So he called her in and wiped her tears and quieted all her childless childish fears. Then he led her back to her home once more, but as he entered his own darkened door, he knew that the Lord was not coming today, for the hours of Christmas had passed away. So he went to his room and he knelt down to pray, and he said, Dear Lord, why did you delay? What kept you from coming to call on me? For I wanted so much your face to see. When soft in the silence a voice he heard, Lift up your head, for I kept my word. Three times my shadow crossed your floor, And three times I came to your lonely door. I was the beggar with cold, bruised feet, And I was the woman you gave something to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. Three times I knocked, and three times I came in. Of all the gifts, love is the best. And I was honored to be your Christmas guest. Let's pray. Blessed us, Lord. <clears throat> this Christmas with peace that passes all understanding. Joy that is beyond material possessions, love that knows no boundaries, and strength that emanates from faith in you. Amen.
Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I get up here about twice a year. I am Janet Peterson's brother-in-law, married to her sister Diane. Uh, been married 57 years now, I guess. Um, a few years ago, um, the Lord gave me a song. Uh, I woke up one morning, uh, I had the chorus, I had the first verse, and I had the melody in my mind. And I'm not a singer, I'm not a songwriter, or anything like that, but there it was. And uh, I told it to our pastor, and they liked it, he liked it, and he said, uh, you need to write more verses. Well, I didn't write these, I felt. <laughs> uh, but within the next year, uh, while traveling to a new home, uh, within a matter of about five miles, the Lord gave me two more verses. So then I, I met a Christian songwriter and singer, performer, told him about it, and he assisted me in recording it. Uh, Pastor Randy has played it here. I, I believe we played it at Vernon's funeral. And uh, may, have, may have played it other times when I was not here. But at any rate, uh, Randy asked me to either sing it or play it. Well, my voice is not the best right now, and I don't have any accompaniment. I don't play any instruments. So I'm going to play it for you now, uh, recording off of my phone. It's called My Friend.
job there at Burns funeral. I just felt kind of led. The family had given me Burns' vest. One of the first times I commented on Burns' vest, Burns said, um, it is a nice vest. And the thought occurred to me if, if you know, I seen Burn out and about in the community and out and about in a church and he'd wear that vest and I thought probably the fam family would bury, bury her in that vest. And later, I mentioned to Jeannie if, if they ever wanted to sell that vest, I'd purchase that vest. Then on a Sunday morning, they, they gave me the vest, and periodically I wear it around the church. And I thought this Sunday it would be very appropriate to wear the vest. Here just a few days ago in our community, we experienced a very devastating accident. Four teenagers had stole a vehicle, a Mercedes, and they were chased by the Robbinsdale law enforcement. And they um, left the road, they hit a, a sign that actually split the Mercedes in two. I don't know how there were two survivors, but there were two survivors, but there were two deaths. One of the individuals that died was a, was a daughter of a janitor here at Olivet United Methodist Church, Ray. Vern and I interviewed Ray um, for the janitorial services here. And the last time I seen Ray was at Vern's funeral. Ray was all dressed up and his tux and that and sitting all by himself and Marilyn Borden seen him sitting by himself and she went over and sat with Ray. Ray was, was black. Vern was white. Ray was a member of the pastor of Church of God in Christ. And Ray was to report to Vern. And then if he needed any materials or so. And I share this because it was Ray's daughter that was involved in the accident. She was only 18 years old and she was killed. Ray is, is just devastated. But through the ministry of all of it, United Methodist Church during Pastor Carpenter's ministry here a number of years ago, Ray's daughter made a decision for Christ. And she probably wandered away from the Christian faith, but the only real comfort that Ray has right now, Ray went through a divorce 
is that his, his daughter is at home with the Lord, and I'm sure that probably Vern Peterson, our Vern Peterson and Ray's daughter are, are fellowshipping. Probably, I'm thinking about, they're talking about all of it, United Methodist Church at this time. Shall we go to prayer? Father, we have so many prayers of petition and intercession as we come before you this morning. We have so many joys and so many sorrows and we count our blessings. We thank you for the tremendous Sunday school class and Pastor Ira and those who attend and the width and the depth and the height of God's glory that's present there in that class. As we pray for those who are experiencing joys and sorrows and the tremendous sorrows that Ira has experienced among his friends and the suicides. And we thank you for Carol and Dirk being with us all the way from St. Cloud. We thank you for the Wisconsin folks, Janet's sister and we, Diane and her husband. We thank you for sharing heaven and Amongst all the activities for this year, help us to focus upon heaven. Not only those who are in heaven, but those who need to prepare for heaven. In this Advent season, Advent is a time of the candles of, of hope and joy and peace. And in the center candle represents Jesus. Jesus candle, that Jesus is the root in being and, and the reason for the season. And we pray that this holiday preparation would be one of, of great celebration and joy because there are many families that are split. And one close friend of mine Jan has summarized the, the chaotic times that we live in as biblical days, possible days of the second coming of Jesus Christ and his second advent, that when things seem to be falling apart, they're falling into place. That during the chaos of the first coming of Christ, that Scribes and the Pharisees and the priests and worshipers in the temple just really missed Jesus and it, it was only the shepherds and it was only the wise men that witnessed the birth of Christ. Unless we forget the signs of your coming again, we, we do not want to be caught unawares. You said you would come as a thief in the night. Help us to be prepared this holiday season with, with that, that joy and that hope and that peace and that love, and especially the center candle, which represents Christ, that Christ would be the center of our being, that he would be the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, as we look into scripture and those by way of television and those by way of radio and Facebook and other means of communication today as 
we turn to Luke chapter 3, that you would just anoint those verses from 1 to 18, 1 to 18, as my wife prepares to come and share from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Help us to acknowledge, may we incorporate in our holiday season certainly the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's Son, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, as you taught us all to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're joining us by way of television or radio or YouTube, we always encourage you to have your Bibles with you and not only hear the Word of God, but read the Word of God. Get it into your mind, body, soul, and spirit in the very marrow of your bones. So reading now from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, please. Beginning with chapter 3, verse 1 of Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Euteria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region about the Jordan, preaching an, a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits that befit repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Tax collectors also come, came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than is appointed to you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Rob no one by violence or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all the men 
questioned in their hearts concerning John, whether perhaps he were the Christ. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to hear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Here ends the hearing of the word. Thank you, Jeannie and, and Joe and, and that favorite brother-in-law and favorite husband of Diane's. That's your first husband, only husband Diane. Is he a, he's a packer backer, right? A, I imagine you fit amongst the, your, your mother-in-law. I would periodically call her on, the, on when that big game day was. And, and if I called a little too late, she wouldn't answer the phone. She was a very dedicated packer backer, wasn't she? Amen. It kind of made it hard for Jan when you came to Minnesota. You, you, Wisconsin and Minnesota in the border battle. Well, we thank God for those who are with us today and those by way of television and those who traveled all the way from Alaska and, and California. Amen. God's blessings upon you. I feel a little bit closer to Vern when I can wear his leathers. You, you remember the, the origin of this vest? You need to kind of do some documentation. Chris, vests are good, aren't they? Every biker needs to have a vest, don't they? Amen. That's your colors. You've got to be very careful when you wear a vest. I've done a few biker funerals. One funeral was in Elk River. It was part of the Hells Angels. They told us to expect like two to three hundred bikers. Turned out to be almost eight hundred bikers came. They they gathered in with all their leathers and all their emblems and all their tattoos. And I noticed one thing that even the Hells Angels and the bikers are are really aging. A lot of gray hairs. A lot of gray hairs. And I'm sure you notice that too, Chris, don't you? Not as many young bikers as there used to be. You know, we all used to be kind of a little dark in the hair. You know, these verses that we examined this morning describe the beginning of the gospel of Christ, according to Luke. Their sense of reference, you know, to the upcoming birth of Christ, and sometimes they're avoided because we move so quickly into the birth of Christ, and really the birth of Christ is, should be celebrated on Christmas Eve and then ongoing Sundays after that. Our scripture begins with the preaching of John the Baptist, and the Jews could never say that when the Messiah came, he he came without notice, or he came without preparation. As we prepare the lighting of the Advent wreath, it's a time of 
preparation. Advent is a time of preparation. He graciously sent a, a, a forth a forerunner before his face, but whose ministry and the tension of, of the whole nation was awakened. Let us notice first in this passage of scripture that doesn't necessarily run consecutively because as we get into Luke's gospel, we, we need to see the background. We, we need to kind of acknowledge that we probably wouldn't have recognized the birth of Christ in the nativity either. But let us notice first in this passage the wickedness of the times when Christ's gospel was brought into the world. You and I, we think we live in a wicked time. The last few months and the death and the devastation and, and it seemed at one time where healthcare workers were well, well respected and treated and law enforcement was well respected and treated and, and it's just almost flip-flopped. The opening verses of this chapter tell us the names of some who, who were rulers and who were governors in the earth when the ministry of John the Baptist began. It's a, it's a real melancholy list, and it it's, it's, has a full sense of, of instruction. There's hardly a name in it which is not infamous for wickedness. Tiberius, and I could go on to the, a long list of what Tiberius was, and, and we've all heard about Pontius Pilate and, and Herod and his brother and Annas and, and Caiaphas. They were men of whom we know little or nothing about, but they're evil. They're evil demonic acts. It seemed, according to Job chapter 9, 24, it, it seemed as though the earth had given into the hands of wickedness. The day and age that you and I live in, I like that little cliche when we, we see everything seemingly falling apart. Biblically speaking, it's falling into place. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the second coming of Jesus Christ. When such were the rulers, what must the people have been? If the rulers were this way, what were the people like? Such was the state of things when Christ's forerunner was commissioned to begin his preaching. Such were the times when the first foundation of, of Christ's church was brought out and laid. And we may truly say that God's ways are not our ways, let us learn never to despair, despair about the cause of God's truth, however black and unfavorable about the cause of God's truth, however black and unfavorable its prospects may, may appear. At the very time when things seem hopeless, when things seem hopeless, God may be preparing a mighty, mighty deliverance at the very season when Satan's kingdom seems to be triumphantly triumphing, the, the little stone cut within our hands may be on the point of, of crushing it to pieces. The darkest hour of the night 
is often that which just precedes the day. And as being a veteran of deer hunting for some 60 years, it seems just before the sun rises, it's, it's the coldest on the stand. Let us beware of slackening our hands from any work of God because of the wickedness of the times or the number and the, the power of our adversaries. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and, and the one that regardeth the clouds shall not reap, according to Ecclesiastes 11.4. Let us work on and, and believe that help will come from heaven when it is most needed and most wanted. In the very hour when a Roman, when a Roman emperor, an ignorant priest, seemed to have everything at their feet, the Lamb of God was about to come forth from Nazareth and set up the beginnings of his kingdom. What Jesus has done once, Jesus can do again. In a moment, Jesus can turn his church's midnight hour into the blaze of a noonday light. Let us notice, secondly, in, in this passage, the, the account which St. Luke gives of the calling of John the Baptist into the ministry. We are told that the word of God, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, and John received this special call from God to begin preaching and to begin baptizing. It was a message from heaven was sent to his heart, and under the impulse of that message, John undertook his marvelous work. There is something in this account which throws great light on the office of all Christians who serve in the church from pulpit to pew. It's an office which no one has a right to take up unless they have an inward call from God as well as an outward call from humans. Visions and revelations from heaven, of, of course, we, we have no, no right to expect. Fanatical claims to special gifts of the Spirit must always be checked and discouraged, but an inward call, an inward call to a person must have before they put their hand to the work of the ministry. The Word of God must come to one as really and truly as it came to John the Baptist, before one undertakes to come to the world and to come to the Word. In short, one must be able to profess Christ as their Lord and Savior with a good conscience that one is inwardly moved by the Holy Ghost. As God prompts your heart, you better yield to the promptings of the Holy Ghost to take upon yourself the office of, of leadership and participation in the body of Christ. We can't all be trustees or of the pulpit or on the calling committee, but we can find our place. And we need to find our place in the body of Christ. As the Bible says we can't all be toes or tongues or limbs or fingers, but we need to find our place. And the one who cannot say this when he comes forward, as in my case, to be ordained, is committing a great sin and, and running without being sent. You need to be called of God first, 
And let it be a part of our, our daily prayers that our churches may have no ministers or no so-called Christians excepting those who are, are really called of God to fulfill those offices. God isn't so concerned about our abilities as he is about our availabilities. That an unconverted minister is an injury and is a burden to a church. And I've run into many ministers that have no testimony at all. At times they say that they don't know if they're a Christian or not. They've gone through Bible school, they've gone through seminary, they've got every degree possible. And I can't say that they're, they're in it for the money. But how can one speak of truths which one has never tasted? How can one testify of a Savior whom one has never seen by faith and never laid hold on by their own soul? As in my case, I can criticize the pastors after God's own heart is, is a person to whom the word of God has come. One who runs confidently because they have glad tidings. You and I, we need to be the salt of the earth, the, the light of the heaven. How, how do our gifts and our graces reflect? One who speaks boldly because one has been sent. And let us notice lastly in this, this passage of scripture, the close connection between true repentance and forgiveness. I have a particular appetite for vehicles that, that gives me therapy, and one of my greatest therapies is is my Viper and my one and only, I have the one and only plate in the world that's spelled R-E-P-E-N-T. And I've taken that from that scripture today that the Viper, the Vipers that, that make up the false church, we need to read in our hearts the message of R-E-P-E-N-T. We need to personally repent. We are told that John the Baptist came preaching this baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The plain meaning of this expression is that John preached the necessity of being baptized in token of repentance, and that he told his hearers that except they repented of their sin, their sins would not, would not be forgiven. I've been fortunate to be at the bedside of many a dying person, military and civilian life, to dedicate and to rededicate their lives to Christ as they make that transition from this life to the next. I remember the last conversation Vernon and I had on the telephone, and I, I believe, Jeannie, you held the phone up to your dad's ear, and we, we prayed. We must carefully bear in mind that, that no repentance can make atonement for sin. It's only the blood of Christ. It's only the blood of Christ, that body that was broken, that blood that was shed. And nothing else can wash away sin from one's soul. No, no quantity of, of remorse or no quantity of repentance can ever justify us in the sight of God. We are accounted righteous before God only for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith and not by our own works or deservings. It's of the utmost importance 
to understand this clearly, clearly the trouble that one brings upon oneself and one's soul is by misunderstanding the subject is more than can be ever expressed. But while we say all this, we must very carefully remember that without repentance, no soul was ever yet saved. We must know our sins, mourn over our sins, forsake our sins, abhor them, or else we shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. God has provided us the keys of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's up to you and I to repent. There's nothing meritorious in this. It, it forms no part. Whatever the price of our redemption, our salvation is all of grace. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Lest any of us boast. It's, if we're going to boast, we need to boast what Jesus has done for us. Our salvation is all of grace, but first to last, from first to last. But the great fact still remains that saved souls are always penitent souls, and that saving faith in Christ and true repentance towards God can never be found asunder. There is a mighty truth, and one that ought never to be forgotten. By way of television, by way of radio, or those who gather here, maybe not in quantity, but in quality, do we ourselves repent? Do we ourselves repent? And you should say, yes, yes, we ourselves repent. And this, after all, is the question which most nearly concerns us. Have we been convinced of sin by the Holy Ghost? Have we fled to Jesus for deliverance from the wrath to come? Do we know anything of a broken and a contrite heart and a, and a thorough hatred of sin? Can we say, I repent as, as well as I believe? If not, let us not delude our minds with the idea that our, our sins are yet forgiven. It is written in Luke chapter 13, 3, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Father, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television this morning, we need to dedicate and rededicate our lives to Christ in this very, as the scripture say, says, very evil and adulterous generation. The three steps of salvation that we need to con confess that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and things we've done and left undone. We need to be, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we need to confess him as our Lord and Savior. Stand up for him. With every eye closed and every ear attentive to the word of God. Would you pray these words with me? Dear Jesus, I repent. Forgive my sins, things I've done and left undone. I believe, Jesus, your body was shed for me in your blood, that body and that blood that is all-powerful. Help me, O oh Lord, to confess your name, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I are all called to be forerunners of Christ, as we wait upon you for our offertory gifts of your
tithes and your offerings, would you join me in the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins today? God, who gives all gifts, in this season we focus so much on giving gifts to one another. Help us, we pray, to remember what John the Baptist tells us in our, your list, that we might bear fruit worthy of the repentance that is the very heart of the season. Fruit of compassion, fruit of sharing, fruit by denying ourselves so that others who have little will have enough. In response to you, we give that our fruit might please you. In the Savior's name we pray, amen. As the ushers come forward this morning, if you'd be so kind to turn to O Word of God Incarnate, purple number 598, 598 in your hymnals.
you, Steve, please stand, please? Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Holy God, you have wonderfully made every delicate part of this world. Then you placed us as human beings in the center of it as we stumble our way through living our lives in union with your will and in harmony with creation. As we offer our tithes and our gifts this morning, we thank you for sending your Jesus to show us the way to simple language, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. May our gifts be dedicated towards making both a reality. In Christ we pray, amen. And would you open your purple hymnals again to 597, and I'd like this to be a prayer that we pray together as we dedicate ourselves during the holiday season, 597, 597 Purple Hymnals, that God would lead you in the spirit of truth. 597, would you pray with me from the, for the spirit of truth? From the cowardness that dares not face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truth, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, good Lord, deliver us. Amen. May the grace and the peace of God our Father Almighty go with us and be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. 